The Hamlet Podcast, Episode 21. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. Last week brought us away from the palace in Elsinore and into the home of Polonius, where we met his daughter Ophelia being cancelled by her brother Laertes. He is returning to university in Paris and seems deeply concerned about Ophelia's relationship with Hamlet. We left off in the middle of a rather long discourse in which he is lecturing her on just how bad an idea it is, how Hamlet isn't free to make his own choice and how really she should just end it altogether. Hamlet is the prince, and so there may be any number of other interests in play. There could be a strategic marriage in the works for him. His wife might be chosen for him as some kind of an alliance. Essentially, Big Brother is telling Little Sister not to have hopes above her station, as the Irish saying goes. Laertes, rather like his father, is fond of a long sentence, and I had to cut him off in the middle of a line last week, so I'll recap and let him build up some of that steam again. He may not, as unvalued persons do, carve for himself, for on his choice depends the safety and health of this whole state, and therefore must his choice be circumscribed unto the voice and yielding of that body whereof he is the head. Then, if he says he loves you, it fits your wisdom so far to believe it as he in his particular act and place may give his saying deed, which is no further than the main voice of Denmark goes withal. Then weigh what loss your honour may sustain if with too credent ear you list his songs or lose your heart or your chaste treasure open to his unmastered importunity. Fear it, Ophelia, fear it, my dear sister, and keep you in the rear of your affection, out of the shot and danger of desire. The chariest maid is prodigal enough if she unmask her beauty to the moon. Virtue itself scapes not calumnious strokes. The canker galls the infants of the spring too oft before their buttons be disclosed, and in the morn and liquid dew of youth contagious blastments are most imminent. Be wary, then, best safety lives in fear, youth to itself rebels, though none else near. He really does lay it on thick, doesn't he? But at least he's well-spoken and has some nice images for us to unpack. The big concern is that Hamlet isn't really free to love the lowly Ophelia, although given her father's exalted position at court, she's not really as unvalued a person as Laertes is suggesting. But she's not a princess either. And so, he advises, if Hamlet says he loves her, she should believe it only as far as his actions prove he's serious. There will be a frequent juxtaposition in this play between word and deed, and Laertes is the first to announce it. Presumably, he has grown up fairly close to Hamlet and knows well what a thinker, and it seems a talker, he can be. The concern is all the more justified given that Hamlet's wife must be approved by the main voice of Denmark. King and country have to approve it. Even if Laertes isn't trying to do Ophelia down, at the very least he's trying to protect her from disappointment. Then, if he says he loves you, it fits your wisdom so far to believe it as he in his particular act and place may give his saying deed, which is no further than the main voice of Denmark goes with all. It's interesting that Laertes has suggested that Hamlet is the head of the state, not Claudius, but that the voice of this body is not his to command. 
twice the voice of the state is mentioned here. Clearly, election and public opinion are important here in Denmark. We don't get many details of Claudius's accession to the throne or who ratified it. In the previous scene, Shakespeare cannily introduced him as very much and rather effectively in charge. Laertes, for one, is certainly concerned with public opinion and what people might say. Whatever about the disappointment of being passed over as Hamlet's bride, imagine the public shame, even disgrace, of having been his plaything. Immediately he shifts his focus to Ophelia's honour. Then weigh what loss your honour may sustain, if with too credent ear you list his songs, or lose your heart or your chaste treasure open to his unmastered importunity. It's safe to assume, given that this is a man lecturing a woman, that what's really at stake isn't just her honour, but that of the whole family, and more specifically Laertes' own reputation. There's plenty of love and sincere care here, but of course there's a degree of self-interest too. Now that he's on to the subject of chastity, Laertes starts to wax lyrical, likening her honour, her heart and her virginity to a treasure. Shakespeare uses slightly obscure versions of words for Laertes here. Doubtless the character finds them poetic and sweet, but they also make him sound a little stiff. Credent is a good example. Shakespeare made it up for him. It means believing. And likewise, the contracted version list instead of listen. The ghost of old Hamlet has been using that as well. Even for a brother to be talking to his sister about her chaste treasure is a little awkward. But the honour is at stake, and Laertes knows Hamlet well. He gets a dig in at him too, referring to his unmastered importunity. Importunity crops up a good deal in Shakespeare. It's the state of asking constantly for something, and the adjective that goes with it is importunate. In this case, we know pretty clearly what Hamlet keeps asking for. And of course, Laertes colours the image by calling Hamlet importunate, but also unmastered. He's not in control. He's not experienced. Not really an adult. It's an accurate barb, and it too will be answered later in the play. For now, this pleading is to be avoided. Fear it, Ophelia, fear it, my dear sister, and keep you in the rear of your affection, out of the shot and danger of desire. Laertes here ups the ante and likens Ophelia's chastity and its maintenance to a battle and tells her to keep away from the front line, to stay in the back, in the rear, out of the firing line. The cheriest maid is prodigal enough if she unmask her beauty to the moon. Virtue itself scapes not calumnious strokes. The wariest virgin is irresponsible enough if she expose her beauty to the moon. In the last episode, I had a whole flight of fancy about the moon and chastity, and there's a glimmer of it here again. The basic point is that Laertes is telling Ophelia not to give anything away. Elizabethan ladies would have kept their skin covered to protect against the sun, let alone the moon, and there are various women across the plays berated for being sunburnt or tanned, which was a sign of having had to work outdoors. Even Hamlet has already had a quip about being too much in the sun, Laertes is so extravagant in his care that he tells Ophelia that it would be inadvisable to unmask her beauty even to the moon, although whether he means her face or any other part of her is certainly up for discussion. Virtue itself scapes not calumnious strokes. Even good girls can sometimes earn a bad reputation. Honour 
calumny, public opinion, Laertes is clearly obsessed with what other people might say about him, and by extension his family. Is he trying to line up a political career for himself and therefore trying to make sure his sister doesn't do anything to damage the good name? The canker galls the infants of the spring too oft before their buttons be disclosed, and in the morn and liquid dew of youth contagious blastments are most imminent. Laertes moves on to botany now in a complicated metaphor of how canker worms can easily take over a young blossom, the infants of the spring, before their buttons be disclosed, before they open and show what's inside. This because the youngest and freshest flowers are most susceptible to infection or contagious blastments. This is another word Shakespeare made up. There are a great many words in this play that end in ment, M-E-N-T, all of which can be reasonably assigned to our dear writer. Who knows, it's entirely possible that in a blast <laughs> of creative energy, he wrote the previous scene, which includes the word condolement, and this one, with its blastments, all in the same night. I think by now Laertes has pretty much made his point, and like any good Shakespearean character reaching the end of a speech, he draws to a close with a rhyming couplet. Be wary then, best safety lies in fear, Youth to itself rebels, though none else near. His best piece of advice for his sister, who must be utterly mortified by now, is to be cautious and even rely on fear to keep her safe. Young people, he explains, can lose their self-control even with nobody else around. So in the presence of someone as dashing and as tempting as Hamlet, what hope might she have? I have to wonder why Laertes is so consumed with this. What does this lecture tell us about him? What extravagances has he seen or indeed encountered in Paris, where surely he's meeting with all sorts of people? What has he been doing there? Now that he's lived a little, is he afraid that Ophelia might be having just as much fun at home? Happily, the sister gets a word in now at last, but we'll have to save her response until next time. Thank you, as ever, for listening. As of this week, the podcast is now available in TuneIn, one of the biggest digital podcast and radio services in the world. That's TuneIn.com. So conceivably, you can ask your Google Dot or your Amazon Echo or any such device to play the Hamlet podcast and hopefully we'll show up. There's new content being added every week to the website, thehamletpodcast.com, where you can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter. Talk to you again next time.